writer Matthew Collar here. And guess what? The Minnesota Vikings have a new guard, Dalton Reisner. I feel like this justifies our weeks and weeks and weeks of talk about whether the Vikings should bring in former Denver Bronco, Dalton Reisner. And according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, he will become a Minnesota Viking. And there's some questions to be asked off this. But first, I have to say... Good timing, because I was just about to post a podcast with Brian Murphy, which you are going to hear our full discussion momentarily after we talk about the Reisner signing, but maybe a stroke of good luck for me, because normally I would post that podcast, the Vikings would announce this, and then I would go, no, why? Uh, But there will be more conversation about it with Manny Hill later as well. So lots of talk about the offensive line, but a few quick thoughts to just get to you in the wake of the signing. Number one, Dalton Reisner has to be an upgrade, but I don't know for who. I don't know if it's for right guard, for left guard. Could it be for center if they are concerned about Garrett Bradbury long-term? There has been no indication that they're going to put Bradbury on injured reserve, but if his back injury looks like it's going to be a long-term thing and it's not just going to heal up quickly and he'll get back out there, could Reisner be even under consideration as a center? I mean, this guy has played only left guard throughout his entire career, but As a college player, he did move around quite a bit. I mean, I don't know if that's an option or not, but watching back the film against Philadelphia, I felt like the center and the right guard were the biggest issues along the offensive line. And so I assume that this is for the right guard position for Dalton Reisner to replace Ed Ingram at right guard and become the starter. But I don't know that a hundred percent for sure, because when you look at the performance of the entire interior offensive line, none of it has been very good so far. I mean, you could make an argument that Ezra Cleveland had a good first week, but nobody had a good week against the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's just been so much of a struggle for those guys. And they've allowed You know, strip sacks, they've really struggled to get anything going in the ground game that, I mean, he's an improvement somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure where since he has played only left guard for his entire career. And just looking at his career numbers, I don't know how much of an upgrade it's going to be in the run game, which has been a huge struggle for the Vikings so far. Last year, a 53 grade against the run uh, or in run blocking for Dalton Reisner 2022 by PFF. Uh, A good run blocking grade would be like 70. A great would be 80 and average would be 60. So below average run blocking grade. But that is less of a concern uh, than the pass blocking, which has not seemingly improved at either of the guard positions uh, in any significant way. And that's where Reisner has been very good over his career. He has never allowed 30 pressures in a season. Last year, only 29 graded a 72 pass blocking 73 the year before all by PFF. Uh, But he's been one of the more effective and efficient pass blockers in the league, which is, it is odd that he was still out there for as long as he was out there. Maybe he was just waiting until the Minnesota Vikings got desperate and here they are desperate. And it does make sense to do this now because it kind of felt like with this expanded little bye week or mini buy that it was now or never. Also, I mean, you're sitting at 0-2, kind of now and never from that standpoint. And when they moved Brian O'Neill's money around, when they restructured that after not doing it all offseason, that was kind of a tell that it was in their mind to potentially bring in Dalton Reisner. But there is a little bit of second guessing that I think we have to do here. And I'm not sure whether this is fair or not, because I don't know everything about what went on when Dalton Reisner visited, what their discussion was like, what his price was like. Maybe his price went down because it's a couple weeks into the season and nobody else was calling except for the Vikings. I'm not sure, but it was pretty foreseeable early on in training camp that 
the guard position was going to be an issue, that the interior offensive line was not in great shape. And there, it wasn't a situation where you could throw in the next man up because Blake Brandle has played tackle his whole career. And then they moved him to guard to give them a little bit of depth this off season. But I mean, that's not a guy who you would say could play the entire season. He's somebody you're hoping could fill in a couple times if he had to. And Ingram as poor as he was last year. They gave themselves no backup plan if things went wrong. And I'm assuming it's right guard. If it's left guard, well, the same thing goes because Ingram and Cleveland were both in the top five in pressures allowed last year. So you could have made an argument for either side, replacing either guy to get an improvement. I've always felt like if you have one weak link, you can survive it. If you have two on the offensive line out of five, that's just too many weaknesses and opponents will take advantage. So maybe with Reisner coming in, at least he can shore this up and solidify it a bit and give them maybe only one weakness. Although I'm I'm really not sure about the status of Christian Derrissaw, not sure about the status of Garrett Bradbury and injuries are going to be an issue, but Reisner would appear based on his history with the Denver Broncos to be a very large improvement. I mean, he gave up essentially half the pressures of the two guards last year for the Minnesota Vikings. So th- this is the time uh, they, I don't know how quickly he's going to get in. If he's going to play right away. I don't know if he has a team issued iPad that they gave him weeks ago and he's been studying the film and the playbook and is ready to go, or if it's going to take a little bit longer, but the sooner the better for Dalton Reisner to get in the game. Uh, It's been a failed experiment running the, the offensive line back the way that it was. And there's been lots of questions about it through the off season. And my response has always been, well, where was that cap space coming from? Where were you taking away from to add to the offensive line? But I also think, and and I, I hope I wasn't dismissive of that question because I also think that there was an opportunity and they didn't take it with Reisner earlier this year. And maybe they had to wait on restructuring O'Neill. I don't know. Uh, some of these things will get answered. Some of them won't. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that it is a fair point for anyone who says, dude, we could have seen this coming, <laughs> that, 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 that this was very much foreseeable, even just at the end of last year, that you would need this type of player. And here we are with this team having to scramble to now get Dalton Reisner in after two weeks of very serious struggles on the interior of the offensive line. So maybe this will mean we don't have to talk about it as much the rest of the way. Mm, maybe, maybe. Maybe we'll definitely be talking offensive line play. I'm sure. So there you go. The Vikings have their guard Dalton Reisner. I'm not sure why it took so long and uh, this should be an improvement. The question is, is it going to end up too little too late? I mean, if they don't beat the chargers, is that too little too late? And uh, there should be some regrets there. And will they have any cap space to sign anybody else? Like if they're in the mood for bringing people in, well, Now, look at the way they played against the run against Philadelphia. And after I watched it back, I thought, no, Philadelphia is not the only team in the league that's going to be able to do this. They put in two tight ends and they just overwhelmed the Vikings defense, especially in the middle. And uh, that could probably continue to happen. So there are players out there, Akeem Hicks, Linval Joseph. Would either one of those guys want a job? I don't know. We'll see if there's anything next. So there's the quick sort of instant reaction. Uh, Now we had a really good uh, discussion with Brian Murphy, the typical Monday morning Murph. Let's go to that conversation right now. And, you know, Brian, if it had been Friday morning Murph, it would have been crabby Murph. It would have been tear this team to the ground, light everything on fire, trade everyone, possibly fire a coach. And then you watch the NFC North play yesterday and you go, well, (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's not that bad <laughs> how yeah. you doing Murph uh, that's why you keep it on Monday don't overreact on Friday morning when you can change all kinds of narratives come Monday morning yeah you got to feel pretty good if you're the Vikings well you shouldn't feel pretty good at all at being 0-2 but you should feel a lot less hungover this morning than you would have been on Friday morning 
considering all three of your NFC North rivals did you a favor yesterday by variously blowing, not showing up, or perhaps revealing their true stripes. And I'll let you guys all figure out which teams those are. The, um, you know, 0-2 right now, I, I think ESPN had a stat out the other night. I think it's 11.5% is the playoff rate for those teams that that start 0-2. But I think you alluded to this this morning in your piece, Mr. Collar, that there's 0-2 and then there's 1-2. And right now, the Vikings just feel like 0-2, whereas the L.A. Chargers, who are coming into U.S. Bank Stadium, are much more 1-2. So uh, you've got a a wounded opponent that it feels a little bit more desperate with a coach on the hot seat and an excellent quarterback who can't seem to get the rest of his club to play to his level rolling into town. And, you know, Carolina's never really all that intimidating. So suddenly one and two does feel like, you know, you can get back to two and two and reset here pretty quickly. Yeah, it certainly felt like if Detroit was going to win, if Green Bay was going to win, then you are looking up that mountain a little bit as the Vikings are going, okay, well, now you have to make up multiple games versus two teams in your division, and that hole feels pretty big. But then with both of them botching those games at the end, and one and one, it's a one-game difference between both of them. And are you ready to just count out Chicago and just be like, okay, that's done. We don't have to talk about Chicago anymore. Uh, we can just focus on Detroit and Green Bay as the Vikings' actual competitors for this season. I can. F- I feel like writing off Justin Fields. I don't know about writing off the Bears quite yet, but I have not seen Justin Fields really take advantage of his opportunity. And and this franchise is certainly snake bitten at the quarterback position for. 50 plus years, but also, you know, they built this team. They made a commitment to this team or to their quarterback and he has underachieved badly this year. I mean, and, and, and if you look at the coverage and just sort of what the voices are coming out of Chicago, it's, it's the body language, the attitude, there's almost a defeatism defeatism there that has sort of set in and a malaise. And that, that is enough to at least, if you want to take a, a buzzsaw right now and chop the NFC North into three teams, uh, I think right now you've got obviously the Vikings at 0-2, but staring up a little bit more confidently than Chicago is. Green Bay had the game in hand in Atlanta yesterday. Jordan Love had the game in his his, his hands if he could have just completed a, a quarterback sneak that apparently he did not get the, the call right in on time. Again, a young quarterback, some hiccups there. Uh, his coach, Matt LaFleur, tried to jump on that grenade, but but uh, Love was having none of it. So he he basically admitted, I, I screwed that up. I didn't get the play called in time. Green Bay ends up losing a winnable game in Atlanta. The Lions, you know, they got the big, of course, win on Thursday night to start the season. They come home uh, against Seattle, which was going to be a beatable game. You had a packed house. You had a lot of expectations. And then you had Jared Goff with a very ugly pick six that set them up for an overtime loss. The Lions are going to be here for the long haul. I think Green Bay is probably going to be in the mix for a while as well. I think Chicago, if if you're not ready to give last rights, you might be calling the priest. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, with Detroit yesterday, it just looked so much like a Detroit last year game where their offense was pretty functional, but if they make a mistake on offense, they're going to lose because their defense is just bleeding points to the Seattle Seahawks and Seattle has a really, really good offense. Um, They have, I I think, you know, one of the best receiving duos in the league. Geno Smith looks like a legitimate solid second tier type of quarterback in the NFL, sort of in that same Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins type of tier, which is a compliment considering. Uh, his career was as a backup, but I think it's legit that he on a weekly basis can put up big numbers still though, the whole thing with Detroit, part of the discussion of, can they be better? Can they be that much better this year was 
how much better can their defense be? And their defense was not better yesterday. And it is just one game versus them playing well against Kansas City. But Kansas City was missing Travis Kelsey in that game. It's like, I, I'm going to need to see a lot more from the Lions defense to believe that they are strong enough to be considered as one of the better teams in the NFC. Because I think that uh, it's already after two weeks, we're seeing that Dallas and the 49ers are in a different tier than everybody else. I thought there was a lot of flaws in that Philadelphia team that I wouldn't quite put them to that level. And then the next tier down is it could be kind of anyone, but you have your Seattle, you have your Detroit, like they're very similar teams. And the Vikings are probably in that tier somewhere in the long haul. It really comes down to this week, Murph, because if they beat the chargers, then you feel like, all right, season's back on. You could get to two and two pretty quickly. You could get to three and three by the time you've played the 49ers. All right, there you go. Uh, but if they lose this week, then it's over. Like, the, I don't really buy all those stats of you have this percentage, that percentage, because all 0 and 2 teams are a different story. But if you get to 0 and 3, overcoming that is almost impossible. There's only a handful of teams that have done it like since the eighties that have started that bad and gotten to the playoffs. So I feel like the Vikings can be right there with teams like Seattle and Detroit and green Bay that are in the middle, trying to fight for all those spots, Atlanta, new Orleans, they're a tier down, but it just, it feels weird to say the whole season comes down to this game against the chargers, but it kind of feels that way. Well, absolutely. I mean, 0-3 is a death knell. And and you also have a vulnerable, wounded opponent and a desperate opponent in the Chargers coming into town. Um, you're at home, so you need to redeem yourself from the week one loss to Tampa. Although, you know, Tampa Bay looks a little bit better than maybe we thought we were. Maybe Baker Mayfield has a career. <laughs> he certainly has Anything one Anything so against far. the Bears defense, though? Anything against the Bears defense? I, just, I don't know. I don't know how much credit to give there. I don't think the Vikings, and believe me, they're not looking this big picture. They're looking very, they better be narrowly focusing on uh, the problems in their house because, you know, you can, you can talk about turnovers and yeah, seven turnovers in two weeks is, is, can be fatal. I love how coaches and, and players love to talk about how, well, we can just clean that up. And if we, if we just take care of ball security, that that's something we can handle in house. Yeah, I guess it is from a technique standpoint, but you're also vulnerable now. Teams know you're loose with the ball. It's not so much INTs. It's it's just putting the ball on the ground. Uh, and you've got systemic issues on your line. Uh, you've got three starters down on the offensive line, which is look, which was suspect coming into the season, and that uh, that got really ugly really fast. But you also have a defensive front that can't stop the run. Uh, you know, gave up 250 plus yards against Philadelphia on the road. Exacer the turnovers only exacerbated a time of possession battle that was no battle at all. It was Philadelphia had the ball all the time. The Vikings occasionally had it. And these are these are issues. You know, you go back to the playoff game against the Giants, where the Vikings were physically manhandled, both on the defensive and offensive line. So these are not issues that you can take care of and, and maybe brush aside as self-inflicted mistakes with penalties we can clean up or turnovers. We just got to secure the ball better. Uh, I, I'd like to know how they're going to suddenly become more physical, suddenly become more formidable on the front. I don't see that happening overnight. So those are issues that could plague them long-term here. And that's going to uh, force both schemes to adjust to that because now you're going to need to get Cousins Get getting rid of the ball quicker. You're going to need to probably bring down some more people to to stop the run, at least until you can prove you can stop the run. Which, of course, we all know opens up the passing game if you're if you're dropping defenders down into the box. So that's as X's and O's as I'm going to get probably on a daily or weekly basis as far as football goes. But that's what concerns me more than simply saying if we can take care of the turnover problem, uh, we're going to take care of a lot of issues. Yeah, that is true. Uh, but you also have some you have injury problems, you have depth issues and you have questions about how physical uh, you can be. And that's that's a week to week challenge that they're going to have to overcome. All of that being said, though, I don't hear or see sniping. I don't feel like uh, it doesn't feel like this is coming off the rails. It feels like these two losses can be viewed in isolation for what they were. You see where the schedule lines up now. It does look like a path to two and two is is attainable 
which does allow you for a, a huge reset. And then we talk about, you know, yeah, the Chiefs and the 49ers are coming in. Obviously, San Francisco's on a different level. You know, I'm not going to dismiss the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have some issues right now as well. They they look stronger defensively than they do offensively. So I still don't want to face Patrick Mahomes with the game on the line. But I also don't feel as intimidated, perhaps, by the Chiefs as I did, you know, ten as much as 10 days ago. All of that being said, that game is still a ways off. The Chiefs can write themselves pretty quickly, and that's still going to be a challenge. Bottom line is they they can get to two and two. They obviously have to win Sunday, but they can get to two and two, and then you can start reevaluating. You're almost like you get you get a redo on your first two weeks, and that's rare in the NFL. Folks, I just got my latest box from Grillmasters Club in the mail, and I want to tell you about what's inside. Grillmasters Club sent me a pineapple chipotle barbecue sauce, a peach barbecue rub, an all-purpose marinade, and Lane's Kunami seasoning, plus a nice little spray bottle as well. And the cool part is that it comes with a booklet of instructions on how to get the most out of all of it. I'm set for the rest of the summer and fall for all things backyard barbecue. Go to grillmastersclub.com and check out all of your options. With each box, you get five barbecue products, just like the ones that I got, marinades, spices, rubs, tools, and more. And you can do it on your schedule, monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, stop and start whenever you like. The team of certified pitmasters at Grillmasters Club has cracked the code on delivering award-winning small batch barbecue products on whatever schedule works for you. I can't wait to dive into all of these new flavors for my backyard cooking, so join the club with me. Go to grillmastersclub.com, get 50% off your first box with the code PURPLE, and while you're there, also check out the member reviews to find out what others are saying about the month-to-month Grill Masters Club plan. Again, grillmastersclub.com. Get 50% off your first box with the code PURPLE. Yeah, the uh, odds at two and two and three and three. Um, uh, NFL operations, when they switched to 17 games, put out this huge chart. Like, what are your your big picture odds? And of course, it applies differently to every team because uh, you could be a pretty bad two and two team and have some good luck and then you stink or whatever. Um, but it's it's still under 50 percent. And even if you get to nine and eight, this is where it is hard for the Vikings. Even if you get to nine and eight, it's still about a 50% proposition to even make the playoffs. So that's the tricky thing about starting 0 and 2 is that now you have this uphill uh, climb through the whole rest of the season. And what you're going to need is to beat some teams you're not supposed to beat. You mentioned Kansas City, or you mentioned San Francisco. Like you're probably going to need something like that. Like, yes, you can get back to this 500 dance, but. That's where it gets hard is the rest of the season, even to have a 50% chance at the playoffs, they need to go nine and six the rest of the way, which isn't a ton of room for error. And that's why it is Owen tombstone, because then it means you have to be a pretty darn good team. Uh, and you know, you have to win three for every two that you lose the whole rest of the way. And if you've already lost two, that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, but if they can win this week, then you feel like, all right, the, the things that you're banking on with this team being competitive are there. And, and I'm not 100% convinced how there they are. But if there was ever a team that can help you get them there, like so they're talking about how great the passing game looked. Yes, but at one point you're down 27 to seven. So we've kind of been through that a million times over the years of, oh, look, they're down 20 points. And, oh, they had these amazing scoring drives. Good for you. Uh, we, we've gone through that before, but I also look at the chargers and their defense and how poor it is and how bad Brandon Staley's defenses have been since he's arrived there. And I think it's a good enough opponent where you could say they could beat you, but it's also an opportunity for Justin Jefferson to go for 200 yards, Kirk cousins to have the big win here to have time to throw the ball, to get receivers open, to like to, to do the things that they're sort of saying, this is what can carry us despite all of those other weaknesses. Like this matchup sets up for that. Yeah, it does. I mean, look at, you know, Cousins, what, I think he dropped back 44 times the other night. Now that was as much out of necessity as it was probably planned. Uh, but 
despite being double teamed, despite being the the focus of every defense out there, Justin Jefferson has put up 150 plus yards both times. Uh, Jordan Addison looks like he's he's a playmaker. He's for real. I think people thought that, but he's definitely proven that. In fact, I think you could argue he's he's rocketing past KJ Osborne as the second, as the one B to Justin Jefferson's one A. What I find interesting, and I'll be curious to watch is this is the first time Kevin O'Connell has really dealt with some adversity, right? I mean, the boy wonder had 13 wins last season. The golden horseshoes reigned on the team all year long. There wasn't a, a lot where he had to, to really prove his mettle as a, as a crisis manager, because let's be honest, part of being an NFL head coach, a lot of being an NFL head coach is managing crises, either off the field, on the field, in the locker room, self-doubt. You've got 53 players to manage and coaches. Now you're own two. Are you going to start doing things that maybe is outside your comfort zone because you feel like you have to overcompensate? That trickles down from the head coach to the coordinators and to the players. Are the players on the field now thinking, I have to make a play here at this moment because our season is on the line? You almost see a little bit of that in in, in Jefferson trying to, to outstretch and get that touchdown late in that quarter when he fumbles over the pylon. I don't necessarily view that as a desperation play. I look at it as a superstar trying to make a play. How many more times are non-superstars going to try to do something desperate to make a play, and that's going to expose something else on the back end? It bears watching how, you know, O'Connell manages this week in preparation, despite all of the things that broke well for Minnesota yesterday. Uh, They're still 0-2. They are still facing a daunting task to get themselves together and, and make the playoffs. So how is he going to handle the scrutiny? How's he going to handle the temptation to tear things up and try something different? How is he going to handle uh, if, you know, players do start moving outside their comfort zones during games and trying to make things happen? How's he going to manage that? If they fall behind on Sunday, what's the crowd reaction going to be? How is he, is he going to allow that to dictate uh, some of his decision-making. Most NFL coaches will tell you, no, I'm never going to let the crowd or outside or external pressures dictate that. But we're all, they're all human beings, and they all feel what we all feel in the building at the time. So these are things that O'Connell really hasn't had to deal with. But right now he's on a three-game losing streak, and he hasn't. his team has not looked good in those three losses. So I'm going to be curious to see how he reacts. I'm going to be curious to see how Jefferson reacts. And how the rest of the club reacts to trying to do, are they going to stay the course? Are they going to try something different? Are they going to be more aggressive? And if they are more aggressive, in what areas are they going to be more aggressive? And what's that going to mean maybe in as far as unintended consequences? Because, oh, by the way, you know, the Chargers may seem like an underdog, but they're also a desperate team. And they've got a head coach who's probably now on the hot seat coaching for his job. What are they going to pull out? And, oh, by the way, Justin Herbert is still – an elite quarterback who can tear you apart at a moment's notice. So a lot of interesting things going in. If, if, if these clubs were one and one or two and oh, I wouldn't be looking at the same things I'm going to be looking for in the preparation and the execution of on Sunday, which is how are the Vikings going to handle any signs of adversity early and how are they going to basically prepare any differently than they have the last couple of weeks. With Kevin O'Connell, I'm I'm curious what you think of uh, the message and just the way that he's handled this 0-2 because he is focused in his comments to us really strongly on the turnovers. And he's talked about how they're going to, I don't know, practice high and tight or something this week, which I, I don't, I'm not sure that there's really much more you can do to practice it. A lot of them were weird. Like you have to give uh, the Brandon Powell, you have to give credit to the guy on the Eagles who just made an unbelievable play. Uh, I mean, Justin Jefferson, 10 out of 10 times, he's going to reach that ball out and try to score. I promise he is. And even Kirk Cousins kind of made fun of it. Like uh, the other night, he was like, they tell these guys not to reach out, but your stars do it all over the league. They score on that play. It was just a weird thing that almost never happens. And you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's like real practice time that should be dedicated to it or that you just have to say that. 
because it sounds like as the coach, you're doing something about these fumbles. I'm not really sure, but he's focused so much on that in his comments and then kind of layered in things about the other stuff, like the running game, not working and why that is. And, and some of the offensive line blocking and so forth and the defense versus the running game. He was kind of defending that saying like, well, every team's not Philadelphia. And we were trying to kind of force them to run a lot and see if we could put them in a bad situation, you know, to have Jalen Hurts pass. Now, I think that's not a great strategy, like asking the Eagles to run. They will, and they did. But I just, the overall message has very much been, oh, we're right there. We've got this low point differential, which you guys obsessed over last year with the point differential, which, by the way, was predictive of who they were. So I don't know what that jab's about, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's been very much the, well, it's just kind of random events that have cost us. We're a good team. We're going to go forward. And it hasn't been like, we need to clean up this, 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 and this. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of actually how Mike Zimmer handled it early 2021, where he was defensive of the team. He even came out at one point and gave us a whole speech about all their stats. Well, we're top 10 in this and top 10 in this and top 10 in that. And we're like, okay, well, you're still all in three or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I guess that message of we're going to make it, it's going to be fine. It was just turnovers. And now we're going to go forward. Like, how do you think that he's handled that? I think it's fine, but you can only go to that well once, right? You can only go to the, well, but but for these random occurrences, but for these strange happenings, but for the, you know, okay, that's fine. You can make an argument for that. You can make a case for that. Uh, but you've been physically manhandled in the trenches for three straight games going back to last January. Uh, you're down three starting offensive linemen two weeks into the season. Um, what are you going to, you know, how, where where is that? mystery solved where where does that you can't necessarily coach aggressiveness and willingness to beat your man at the line i mean football in the trenches is a messy ugly brutal game we only see parts of it you know in super slow-mo but these guys live it day to day uh both in film and also on the practice field they know it it really does come down to like do i want to you know murder my opponent on the other side of the line and how many more times can I do that than he will? I don't know where you're going to shift that. That's 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 kind of a mental makeup. That's kind of a physical mano um, mano battle that you really don't necessarily win in the coaching room. You certainly don't win at the podium. The turnovers, I think, you know, it's fine. He can point to the fact that yeah, we can. These are also professional athletes, by the way, that have been taught ball security since you know pee wee football. So I don't I don't get the I don't know if. You're, you're going to be able to do much from a practical standpoint. Um, you can dedicate some time this week to ball security and talking about it. But at the end of the day, your opponents, every opponent knows where their opponent's weaknesses are in terms of handling the football. The Vikings are vulnerable right now, and they are a target. And you know the Chargers defense is, is going to be having tackling drills where it's like one hand on the ball, one hand on the player. Get to the ball, get to the ball both special teams uh, and taking on their offense. So I, 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 it, he's saying the right things, but you can only do that so much because he said all that after the Tampa loss. And then four days later, you committed four more turnovers. So that is not something that's going to fly much longer. What I'm going to be more curious about is if he adjusts anything schematically or personnel wise that will address physical getting out, getting out physical, getting out performed in the running a game on both sides of the ball. What's he going to do if suddenly those changes that he made during the week maybe don't take uh, immediately? Do you revert back to what you're known for and what you've been practicing during the preseason and leading up to these first two games? And then if you're a player, do you wonder like, well, where, where, what is our philosophy is he panicking on the sidelines? I mean, I, you know, th those are the things that you look for in a young coach handling crises because Bill Belichick has handled, you know, he's 0-2 for the first time in 21 years, but I would trust Bill Belichick handling being 0-2 more than Kevin O'Connell. So let's see, let's see what he's going to be like. And, and is he going to be defensive uh, this week answering questions again about all of this? Are the What's the locker room attitude going to be? Is it going to be dismissive? Is it going to be, you know, acknowledging that we haven't played 
up to our potential, but for these handful of events, we'd be two and zero. Are they going to be, you know, kind of cavalier about it, uh, or are they going to they're going to take ownership? And are they going to at least acknowledge, you know, you hate to say week threes must win and our season rides on it, but the arithmetic says it is. So are you going to acknowledge that reality without getting swallowed up by the drama of it, or are you going to be dismissive of it as, you know, outside distractions? Well. You know, outside distractions can be an internal reality right now, and that's what the Vikings are facing. Yeah, I think with Kevin O'Connell that you hired him to be able to navigate the ship without um, maybe bombing your own ship and having it sink like Mike Zimmer did a few times, right? Right. I mean, you're you have him here to be able to be a much more calm voice and a positive voice as well. And I think there is such a thing as being a little bit too on the positive side, but I'm not sure that he's that because it's not like if you ask him, Hey, what happened to the running game? And he's like, no, it's fine. I don't know what you're looking at. He's not like that. Like, no, I mean, he's going to give you uh, a breakdown of that, which makes me think also inside the room that he is acknowledging the shortcomings that they have that have caused these losses beyond uh, just, you know, what happened with the turnovers. And then there's some element to you, you. This is your point. You can't go trying to change everything because you lost two games based on turnovers. And it seems that he understands that. So I think that he's handling it fine so far. But I also think of as an NFL season is kind of like Survivor, where everyone gets to the island and they're very excited and they want to have fun and make friends and everything else. And by like the fourth week, they're eating bugs and they've lost 40 pounds and fallen in a fire and they want to go home. So like it can it can turn into that very fast with NFL head coaches where then they're just losing it. And that's why they put it on TV for when the people lose it. And that's why we like it with football is when that happens as well. So that's why, I mean, that's why this game is so important, but also, you know, I I think that it is an interesting test here that they didn't face at all last year because they started eight and one, but since then they have not been a good football team since they started eight and one last year, the sample size is growing of mediocrity uh, or just playing not that great. So you've got to prove at some point that all these positive words are true or People are going to look around and go, I, I guess you're just being positive for positive sake. Uh, let me ask you this, Murph. This is a, a total different question, but the last number of games that I've covered at U.S. Bank Stadium, I'm trying to think back how far, uh, they haven't been that great. So wow. they got down by 30 points to Indianapolis. I know they won, but still, uh, they lost the playoff game. They lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am seeing, or at least feeling, or might be just my perception, less intimidation from opponents when they come to U.S. Bank Stadium than before. Is that is that a real thing? Am I making that up like you were there for the, the first week? I think the noise is still there, but I wonder if teams have figured out ways to adjust to it and are aware of it where maybe they weren't before. It might also just be personnel. Like we kind of attributed the success of Zimmer's defense in part to us bank stadium when it was really just Everson Griffin, uh, who deserves even more praise after watching DJ Wanham and Patrick Jones struggle to create pressure. But do you think that it's like an intimidating building still in the same way that it felt like when it opened? It's an interesting question because, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, the, the, the game against Tampa, that was the first time I'd been in the press box uh, since the Minneapolis miracle game, um, just because I hadn't covered the team on a regular basis since then. And I mean, the miracle is, you know, will go down as one of the greatest sporting events I've ever seen moments I've ever seen live. And that was an incredibly loud environment. Uh, I'm sure it was loud against the giants. It's sure seemed that way. Didn't really make a difference. It was pretty loud against Tampa, but crowd noise, you know, you can't create crowd noise. You have to create moments that create crowd noise, momentum, uh, seizing the moment, big plays at big opportunities Uh, that, you know, crowds are going to react kind of to how their anxieties are during a game. And Vikings fans are the most anxious among the most anxious out there. You know, they know there's, there's always an existential dread that sort of hangs on and you can feel it coming and they feel it coming. So I think it's important, you know, they were 10, you know, they were, I think, tied 10 to 10 with Tampa at halftime, but it didn't feel great. It almost felt like they were playing with some house money. Uh, 
the second half was they were non-existent and the fourth quarter they were really non-existent and there really wasn't any energy in that building i would argue that us bank stadium from a architectural standpoint and a design standpoint and from a a big moment standpoint is as loud as any building is in the nfl but that's incumbent upon the vikings uh, to create those moments because you can't just lean on the crowd and demand the crowd. Hey, we need the crowd at your loudest. Hey, we need that. Yeah. Well, the crowd's going to react to how you're playing, not because they're told to be loud, even though the scoreboard tells them to be loud and the decibel meter challenges them to be loud. If it's third and eight and you're winning by 14 with five minutes left, that crowd is going to be loud. If you're trailing by a touchdown with three minutes left and it's third and two, and you're backed up into your own territory, that crowd's already dreading the worst in some ways. So it feels almost a little bit artificial. So I would <laughs> I would argue that it's incumbent upon the Vikings to create the, the moments and the opportunities for the crowd to really take uh, the Chargers out of their element and also create an intimidating environment that allows you to be aggressive, that allows you to run around and make plays, that allows you to take advantage of those third and longs, but you got to have those third and longs uh, deep in enemy territory and not past the 50 yard stripe when you're trailing. Cause that's when it gets a little bit uh, there's more trepidation, I think in the crowd noise than there is confidence. Folks, I am absolutely pumped about my prize picks this week because I crushed it. If you have not heard of it, Prize Picks is the easiest and best way to play daily fantasy, except instead of betting against thousands of other players or people who spend their entire life doing fantasy, all you need to do is pick more or less between two and six player stat projections. Say a quarterback's number is 250 yards or a wide receiver, a hundred yards receiving go more or less and bang you're in, you're playing, and you can pick from hundreds of players and numbers this football season, and there are other sports that you can choose from as well. So last week, I nailed that Devontae Smith, Justin Jefferson, and TJ Hawkinson would all get more yards than expected. Pretty easy ones to pick if you ask me. So it doesn't take an arm and a leg uh, money-wise to be able to play. You can turn $10 into $250 with just a couple taps. Perfect way to fit it in in a busy day. Do it right before the game whenever you want at Prize Picks. And uh, we're going to be going in on it all season long. You're going to hear every week making our picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash purple and use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash purple. Use the code purple. Daily fantasy sports made easy. And that's a really interesting thought because uh, Matt Daniels, special teams coordinator, he mentioned when you go to Philly that you can get the crowd to turn on their own team. And I saw that the other night because they had a couple of possessions that weren't great. And the Philly fans started booing them off the field, which I was like, wow, this is uh, it, this is quite different than anything we usually see. Usually, the it, I mean, it's at the end of the half. If you're down 21 points, then the Minnesota fans will boo, not seven to three and you're having to punt or something, but they will turn on a different way. And that way is the most Minnesota way, which is just being like, no, I'm not cheering just that. Like I, I'm not going to boo, but I'm not going to cheer. And uh, they get deflated fairly easily. I think in that building where you're totally right. When it is the big moment, when it's the Packers and you need one stop to win, it's going to be the loudest building in the entire NFL. But if it feels like it's not going their way, you can just feel the crowd being like, oh, not this again. Oh, we're blowing it. You know, and it it's just not the same sort of energy. But I also think, too, that just in the NFL as a whole, when you look across the league, the home advantage has dissipated a bit in the league. And I think that teams figuring out how to deal with the noise with lots of hand signals and adjustments and things like that. And they practice it all week. They know where they're playing. They know what it's going to do to them. And then you have to take advantage of it. Like they'll give you the noise on a third down and 10, but you've got to fool, you know, use that to fool the offense. And I think Zimmer was very good at it, at throwing things at them that forced adjustments along the offensive line. I think Brian Flores should be, and we're going to have to see that though. But then you also have to cover people. So it's kind of, it's very much a chicken and egg type of thing. But I think what we should 
say is the 2017 defense was really, really good. So maybe it felt like that advantage was bigger than it actually was. Uh, last thing, it has been suggested to me by some fans, and uh, I don't know if I endorse this, that losing this game would not be the worst thing. I'm not saying fans are cheering for a tank or cheering for a loss. Everybody in the building is going to want their team to win. Everybody, I think everybody on the whole wants their team to win every Sunday, even if, except for maybe if it could get you Andrew Luck with one loss and the Vikings couldn't pull off that loss. But you get my point. However, if you go to 0-3 and then you start kind of peeking over at Saturday football you look at some quarterbacks and you go, I see some, <laughs> I see some quarterbacks. Uh, how would you feel about that notion, Murph, that if this doesn't work out, that it might be better for them in the long run? Yeah, I think pragmatically at 0-3 with a 35-year-old lame duck quarterback, yeah, that sounds like the philosophy you should take as a fan. Uh, as an organization, boy, that's going to be a hard sell to start laying down with 14 games to play. Uh, I don't think Harrison Smith is going to uh, sign on to that kind of philosophy. And I think over the years, too, we've we've both in the NBA, even a little bit in the NHL now, too, uh, where, you know, tanking has become almost a cottage industry. And to me, it almost feels like it's almost like the easy way out. It's almost like it's like I can validate my denial. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that my team is awful and I should demand more out of the current product on the field. I'm going to fantasize that there's some guy out there playing somewhere, as you said, on Saturday afternoon, who's having a marvelous moment playing against much less lesser talent, putting up video game numbers. And if we could only position ourselves to be in a place in April where we can call that guy's name, then that's going to make everything so much better. And then think of the possibilities with uh, an elite college quarterback, name your guy uh, right now in college, throwing to Justin Jefferson and throwing to TJ Hawkinson and working with a young Kevin O'Connell. And you can allow yourself on, you know, September 20th to think of how great the off season's going to be when we can just talk about the potential of a number one quarterback. It's almost like you'd rather win the speculation game than actually win the games that are in front of you. And that I, I've just never been somebody that appreciates tanking for a number one pick or tanking for a potential franchise savior, because everybody thinks that the next franchise savior is waiting for you in April. A lot of times it can be, but if you're beyond top five, I don't know if it will be. And I, I, I don't know if that's the proper way to evaluate yourself and your club as a fan is, well, they may be 0-3 or 1-5 right now, but I'm going to make myself feel a whole lot better by imagine, imagining the possibilities of having a new person come in and do all of these great things. I mean, great. So maybe next year you're, you know, you're 6 and 11 uh, and, and you're rebuilding. Is that where you want to be? I. 0-3 is an awful place to be, and it your season's probably over. But that means I want to demand more from the product that's currently on the field and the money I'm I'm investing in now, not in necessarily the possibility, because you're constantly living in a fantasy land. And maybe in the fantasy football world that we live in and the Vegas-driven world we live in, it's better to live in fantasy land than it is reality. But uh, this this Vikings team... You need to demand more from the 2023 Vikings than imagine what could possibly be for the 2024 Vikings, especially still in September. What you just gave there was a beautiful speech. And if I was teaching public speaking, I'd say, listen, listen to how well Murph expressed this, this thought and his feelings about uh, tanking. However, however, I'm completely wrong. However, <laughs> No, you're not. You're not completely wrong, uh, because what what I've said since day one is if you call it a competitive rebuild, you can't leave out the competitive part. You you just can't uh, because you made moves still to win this year. And that main move is bringing back Kirk Cousins. And if you had no intention of winning this year, then you should have traded Kirk Cousins because, man, I look at Atlanta and think if Kirk Cousins was on Atlanta, they would go to the Super Bowl. They have so much freaking talent on that team. And yet you didn't. You didn't make these moves. 
at the quarterback position. You didn't draft somebody this year. You didn't start that ball rolling toward the future. So you took a now and later approach. We cannot just say now doesn't matter. Now does matter. And also looking at the NFC North now matters, make the playoffs. Like, look at these teams. They're not that special. Make the playoffs, make something happen. Make, you know, make the most of the all world wide receiving core that you have that might be top five, three in the league. So you, you can't just throw that away and say, it's fine to lose with all of those players. So I'm on board with you there. However, I mean, when you're talking about the draft status and so forth, the worse you are, the better you pick, the higher you pick, the better the player. I mean, it's just the reality, right? So no one thinks Harrison Smith should lay down. But I think when it comes to the front office, you have to say, should we make the Hawkinson trade or whatever, you know, that they made last year? Should we trade a second round pick for a star to bring in here who's on disgruntled or something that's older? No. Like, would you sign Dalton Reisner or some, you know, offensive lineman or something in a desperate attempt to, to win one more game? Like, no, you're just going to let it play out. You're just going to let it happen would be the thing. Or if someone calls for Kirk and says, we're a Kirk away, could you trade him to us? And you're one in five, then you say yes. And you it would trade be him malpractice away. if you didn't do that. That's what I mean. So that's the thing. Like there's a difference between uh, no player has ever said, I'm losing this game for our team. And I don't think any coach ever went into a week and said, and this is the Brian Flores lawsuit. And I don't think any coach said, oh yeah, we're going to lose. Cause I want that L on my record. Of course not. But is it, is it tanking to go one and five and trade Kirk? Like kinda, but also not really because you're just doing the smartest thing at the time. So yeah, I think, but if you're taking the mentality that going 0 and three is fine, cause maybe you can get a better quarterback that I can't agree with. Like yeah, to me, you're tr there's lots of quarterbacks that are going to be in the draft. You should be trying to make the playoffs still, but if this keeps going, getting worse, then you probably are hoping for losses at some point. And that's going to be very, very tough. It's ugly. I've, I've covered it before in hockey Murph. It's ugly. It's nasty. You don't really want to see it, but in the long run, I mean, look, Joe Burrow, number one pick to the Bengals Tua, what was he fifth overall? Something like that to Miami, Justin Herbert, who's become a very good quarterback. Like these teams went to the bottom and drafted high. Like that's what you're looking for. So anyway, this should be very interesting. You think they'll win Murph? You think they'll pull it off? I do. I think they're better than they've, they've shown. And I think the chargers are, uh, not a formidable opponent. I think they're going to be a desperate opponent, but I think they're more desperate. I think the Vikings realize the opportunity and the stakes, and it's a home game. Uh, I, I believe they'll win because they have to win, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I, one thing I know walking into that stadium is you never know. And Vikings Chargers might just open a black hole in the universe somewhere because these two teams are so bizarre and, and weird. So uh, Brian Murphy, we will look forward to your Monday morning Murph column and talking to you next Monday to break it all down as well. Thank you for your time, sir. All right. We'll talk soon.